Well, this is a conference on sexuality and relationships, so don't be surprised that I'm going to talk about sex. But I'm going to talk about a perspective you've probably never heard before, and I guarantee you never heard it before in, in sex ed classes in, in the public school. Um, so oh, I want you to open your hearts and spirits to receive something new today. The world's focus today is about me. It's me, myself, and I. And these are common words in our culture today. Self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-improvement, self-gratification, and self-determination. But that does not set well with what I see in scripture. Abraham is considered the father of our faith, so I'm going to look at what God said to him. In Genesis 12, 2, God said this, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So, wow, that seems like, wow, that's a personal word of exaltation to Abraham. But let's see what God said further about that. In Genesis 13, 15, he said, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. So... God's promise to make Abraham great was not just about him. It was about his offspring after him. Let's listen further to what God said to him in Genesis 17, 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. So God's promise to make Abraham's name great was not about him. It was about him and his sons and his grandsons. It was about the generations. You know all those chapters in the Bible where it lists name after name after name, like so-and-so the father, so-and-so, and so-and-so the father, and so-and-so. And then in, in a lot of verses in the Old Testament, it, whenever it lists a person, it will say the son of so-and-so. It'd be like saying James, the son of Jim, Nick, the son of Ken, Caleb, the son of Steve. And I always think, why did you put all these chapters in the Bible that we have to read like they're so boring and I want to skip over them? But then I realized that God put those detailed verses there to show us that he is a God of the generations. His plans and purposes involve the generations, not just me. They involve me and my children and my grandchildren. So what does all this have to do with our topic of sex? Well, let's look at the world's view of sex versus God's view. The world's view of sex equals pleasure plus recreation, like have fun. What's God's view of sex? Pleasure and procreation, the bringing forth of new life. There is one book in the Bible dedicated to the pleasure aspect of sex, and that's the Song of Solomon. But most of the rest of the Bible is about sex bringing forth the next generation. The verses that list fathers could read like this. Shealtiel had sex with his wife and became a father to Azariah. Azariah had sex with his wife, and he became a father to Shemaiah. Sex in the Bible included procreation, the birthing of new life, and all the responsibility that comes with that. Our enemy understands the life-giving potential of our seed way more than we do, and he's done everything he can to make sex solely a, a, a sterile act of pleasure. He knows the potential of our seed even when we don't. Look at these verses, and this is just uh, two verses out of many, many, many in the Bible that talk about the value of our children. Genesis 22, 17 through 18. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
And then in Genesis 35, 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come forth from you, and kings shall come from your body. In other words, God is saying, have sex with your spouse and bring forth children. And, and then raise them up to be world-changing sons and daughters. God says our children are not only a blessing to us individually, but they're a blessing to whole nations. He says they're a key to spiritual dominion. The enemy does that, and he's doing everything he can to oppose children. There's an all-out war against the woman and her seed. And you know where it began? Clear back in the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Listen to what God told Eve after she fell. I, pu I will put, or this, he told Satan this after he in, enticed Adam and Eve to fall. He said this, I will put enmity, which means true hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So clear from the beginning of time, there's been an all out war between Satan and the seed of the woman. When a nation gets close to God and his truth reigns, children are seen as a blessing. But the farther a nation gets away from God, children are seen as a curse. And that's pretty much where we are in all the world today. People, want, people are fighting tooth and nail to have all the sex they want without the consequence of children. People are fighting the government to say, you give me free birth control and free abortion. God's enemy is fueling that fight. Contrary to that, over and over again in scripture, God told his people, have sex with your spouse and multiply. Look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. In other words, he said, have sex with your spouse and produce children and fill the earth and have dominion. And look at the story of Noah in Genesis 9-7. God said this to Noah and his sons when they came out of the ark after the flood. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. In, in other words, have sex with your spouse and produce children and fill the earth. When God's people were ready to enter the promised land, he told them the exact same thing. It's interesting that a lot of the key stories in the Bible are about the conception and birth of strategic leaders. And in all these cases I'm going to mention, there was a lot of warfare over the birth of these leaders coming forth. In every case, the, the mom was barren. It starts with the three patriarchs, Abraham's wife giving birth to Isaac, his son Isaac's wife giving birth to Jacob, and Jacob's wife giving birth to Joseph. In every case, the mom was barren, and it required God's supernatural intervention. The same thing was the case with the mother of the prophet Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist. There was warfare over the birth of these leaders that required God's supernatural intervention. Our ability to conceive and bring forth children through sex is strategic in the plans and purposes of God. Unfortunately, the enemy's lies have taken root in the world today, and sex has become only about pleasure. Abortion now kills 40 to 50 million children a year in the world. Contraception and abortion have so diminished the number of children in nations that many nations are now struggling because they don't have enough workers and consumers, so their economies are struggling, and they don't have enough young people to care for the older generation. So now many nations are realizing we bought the lie, and it's hurting us, and now they're starting to pay parents to have children. Here's some nations where they're doing that. Russia, Japan, Spain, Denmark, Italy, Hong Kong, India, South Korea. Hmm. Maybe God's word is right after all. Maybe children really are a blessing, not only to us, but to nations.
So I'm talking about children being a blessing and about how God's purposes for sex involve procreation. But what does that have to do with us? Well, most of the sex that goes on in the world is for the purpose of pleasure. But inevitably, babies are conceived, whether they're wanted or not. Statistics say that half of all pregnancies are unplanned. That means that the first words spoken over many children are a curse. Oh, no, I'm pregnant. In other words, they're saying, I didn't plan on you, baby, and you're wrecking my plans and my life. If those statistics are true, those were the first words spoken over many of you. Contrast that to a, fam a couple who believe children are a blessing no matter what. When they become pregnant, their first words over their baby are, thank you, Lord, for the gift of this life. We receive you and we bless you. If cursing was the first thing spoken over you, we would like to reverse that curse today. God can reverse that curse and speak blessing over you. Then there's the hot topic issue of equality of the sexes. A lot of women today want to be just like men. What we forget is that God gave us women a womb and um, breast to bear and nurture children. We are different than men, and that's a God-given difference. We are equally loved and valued before God, and we have gifts, callings, talents, and abilities just as much as men do, but we are different, and that's a good thing. So many things happened when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and God's perfect order was wrecked on a lot of levels. I already talked about the hatred between Satan and the seed of the woman that began. Another interesting thing is that men and women were cursed in what I believe are their primary callings. Men were cursed in work, and guess where women were cursed? Not in work, but in childbearing. And I believe because that's her primary calling. That's where she most felt the curse. And this is interesting also. This is a, another consequence of the fall is um, that this is where conflict between men and women started. In Genesis 3.16, God said this to Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, in my, in my ESV study Bible, it doesn't say much about, well, it, it, does, it, it does say this. Um, it says, the ongoing result of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God will have disastrous consequences for their relationship. Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and his leadership, and Adam will abandon his God-given role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. So a lot of the current struggle between men and women goes clear back to the curse spoken in the garden. Because of their sin, God's original or perfect design between men and women was destroyed. Instead of having a loving, caring relationship and a, and a, a role of leadership, a loving, caring relationship of leadership over women, men became oppressive and harsh and dictatorial, and many, many men became sexually abusive. For centuries, women have fought for their rights and equality because of that oppression and abuse. But unfortunately, I believe the pendulum has swung way too far. I believe that in our quest to be like men, it's required that we shut down our life-giving capability of our womb and breasts. And we've said, we want to be just like men. As God is restoring all things, we need to go back to our original design, I believe. God made us women to be life givers and life nurturers. The world says, if you're going to compete with men, you need to shut down your womb or severely limit it. The world says, get out of the home, especially. You don't want to stay at home. God says this to women, I have created you to be a life giver and a life nurturer. 
Be who I have created you to be. Reject the lies of the enemy that tell you that bearing and raising children is a second-class calling from which you need to break free. Know that in your calling as the keeper of the home, you've been given dominion of the key building block of society, which is the church and the family. It's a very high calling. Wouldn't you think that the very last verse of the Old Testament would be really strategic and important? Well, listen to what God chose to say in this verse in Malachi 4 in verses 5 and 6. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts, which is the chief part of the fathers to their children, and the hearts, the chief part of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I believe what I'm talking about today is part of understanding that verse. That says that when fathers' hearts, fathers and children's hearts are turned away for, from each other, there'll be a curse on the land, which we are experiencing that today. Conversely, if fathers, and I believe mothers, turn the chief part of who they are, their hearts to their children, that will then cause children to turn the chief part of who they are to their parents, and our land will be healed and will experience revival. And we'll be cooperating with God's MO in the earth, which is to build his kingdom through the generations. So what is all this I'm talking about? Have, what have, how has that affected Jim in my life, and how have we applied this? Um, we learned this truth about children being a blessing when I was pregnant with Luke, our third child. And we thought, we want all the other blessings of God. You know, we want finance, we want favor, we want everything else. So why in the world would we reject the blessing of children? So um, his truth changed our hearts and lives, and we thought, we want to receive all the blessing God wants to give. And so we trusted him with this area of, his li of our lives, and he gave us six girls and two boys. And here's a picture of them at um, Molly and Trevor's wedding last summer. So it's six, four girls and two boys, and now they've gone on, and five of them have started families and are having children of their own. Let's see that next picture. I think it's going to show up. All right. So, and five of our kids live on the East Coast, and they're all world changers. We not only received our children as a blessing, but I've given the last 37 years of my life to caring for and raising them. The world would say, I've wasted my life. I've wasted my time, ability, and talents. But I, I know that's not true. I've written two books addressing what I'm talking Actually, I've written three books. The first, we don't have a picture of the first book. The, it's back at the table. It's called, Are All These Children Yours? Because with eight little kids, everywhere we went, they'd say, Are all these children yours? And so the subtitle is, Why We Let God Be Our Family Planner. And then I've written two books about motherhood since then because moms need affirmation in our culture. The first, first book is called Not Just a Mom, The Extraordinary Worth of Motherhood and Homemaking. And a book I'm just releasing just this month is called Yes to Motherhood, Vision for the Journey. So... As I've said, we're keepers of the home, the basic building block of society. As men and women of God, we need to start shouting yes to children through our lives. And we need to start shouting yes to motherhood, especially in a world that says it's a waste of our time, ability, and talents. We need to believe that motherhood and homemaking are positions of world-changing, history-making, kingdom of God impacting influence. Has that been easy? It's not been easy at all. The last 37 years of my life have not been my own. I've had to lay down every part of my life. But in doing that, I have found what's truly important in life.
And I know that when I leave this earth, I will leave behind children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who will impact the world for generations to come. So the gift of sexuality you have been given is an awesome, sacred gift. When scripture says so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, it shows an awesome responsibility attached to the gift of sex. That is why God puts sex in the context of marriage. A couple commits to each other for lifetime, and in the context of that commitment, they're ready to receive the gift of children through the gift of sex God has given them. And then they're ready to spend a lifetime raising and discipling those children. Let's go back and compare the world's view of sex versus God's view one more time. The world's view of sex is this. Uncommitted sex results in temporary fleeting pleasure with absolutely no responsibility. God's view of sex is this. Committed married sex results in pleasure plus children and lifetime long-term responsibility. So until you're ready for the commitment of marriage and parenthood, I, my advice is this, don't date. I can almost guarantee that if you date, you will get sexually involved. Um, my advice is if you're in junior high and high school, even if everybody around you has a boyfriend and a girlfriend and is dating, just realize this is not my time of life for this. I'm not ready for marriage and parenthood. So instead, grow in God. You know, spend lots of time in friend groups. Dive headfirst into the kingdom of God and become the man or woman of God he's called you to be. So when it's time to get married and have sex and have children, you're ready. When you reach the age where you could marry, do it really wisely. Um, you want to stay sexually pure until your marriage, and that will take some doing, some, some you know, definite doing. Stay committed to somebody in, in accountability to watch over your relationship. Um, don't spend lots of isolated time together. In fact, in fact, spend very little isolated time together. Sexual things tend to happen when you're just alone together a lot. And I've always said this, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> nothing, nothing. So do all your visiting before midnight and say goodnight and go home. <laughs> it's true. Keeping sexually pure takes some definite steps of action and some wisdom. So a lot of us come from broken families, and a lot of us have a sexual history we're not proud of. The great thing is we serve a God who forgives sin and who give, makes us new and can give us a brand new start. We can have a family totally different than the one we grew up in if it was a dysfunctional family. And you might be saying, well, all your talk about sex and parenthood is great for you, but you don't know me. Well, Jim and I were not the best candidates to be good parents. I do not like children. I, <laughs> I have no natural love for children at all until God's truth came to me and changed me. It's true. <laughs> and Jim came from a broken alcoholic home. Not, not good. And Jim and I, neither Jim or I came to know the Lord until we were freshmen in college. And so we both had a, a broken sexual past. But God's truth and grace and mercy and forgiveness came to us and changed our lives and made us brand new and gave us the family we had. And if he can do it in our life, he can do it in your life also. So he is in the business of doing miracles and he is in the business of changing lives.